Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. The aforementioned uh, Jim Duquette joins me here on CBS Sports Radio. Jimmy D, Jody Mack here. How was your new year? Jody Mac, everything was good. Thank you. Hopefully, uh, same with you. Hopefully, you've been staying healthy. Healthy as I can be in this COVID world in which we yes. live, which means staying home and not leaving a house and living like a hermit, but breathing in upright. So that's the uh, most important thing. Doing that yes. pretty well these days. Um, you're staying busy with the activity of the Mets, uh, the yes. big trade that they made this week. Um, sure, they had you on SNY talking about it, and you talked about it plenty on your Sirius XM show. Uh, I did a bunch of shows in New York uh, around the holidays, a couple before Christmas, a couple after Christmas, and I got too many Met fans saying, well, when is the new owner with the deepest pockets in the world going to start <laughs> spending money? And I yeah. said, who have you lost? Who has he not signed? Who is somebody who's gone elsewhere and signed that you desperately had to have as a Mets fan? Said, well, he's got all this money. Why isn't he spending it? Well, he <laughs> dipped deep to get uh, Frankie Lindor and Carlos Carrasco. Uh, didn't know that was the route they were going to go. I thought it was going to be like most Mets fans, free agency. Were you surprised when you got the word that Lindor was now a Mets? Yeah, I think that's the thing that's, that stands out about that trade. Not that they traded for him, uh, but they, he had uh, kind of given us the blueprint earlier in the winter that he was that they didn't have the upper level prospects to match up. Uh, you know, it was going to be difficult to make that type of trade. Um, and so, you know, they got everybody kind of looking at the free agent market and, okay, they signed McCann and Trevor May and, okay, there's all this conversation about George Springer. And and then, you know, Sandy and uh, Jared Porter, they do an end around and, and a little fake. And all of a sudden, yeah, they're deep in the discussions with Lindor and it comes out, they get Carrasco too. So, like, that was a big surprise from that side of it. Um, it you know, when you look at the, the what they gave up, geez, I, I thought it was a, a really, really good deal for them. Uh, they have depth in their minor leagues with a kid, Mauricio. Uh, to play shortstop, you know, down the the road, or to flip over to second base at some point. Hopefully, the Mets are going to sign Lindor long term. So I think it it, it kind of checked all of those boxes. I thought a lot better than the the last big deal, uh, you know, Cano and, and Edwin Diaz. In fact, I thought this trade, Jody, you obviously go back a little bit in time, but when I was in the front office when we traded for Piazza, I felt it had a lot of similarities in that in that regard. That uh, would be a pretty good deal if that's the way it works out for the Mets. All right, you mentioned that uh, you believe that they can or will get him signed. Do you think that signing will get done before the year starts as the season plays out? Do you think mm-hmm. you're going to have to wait till the end of the year and uh, then he's going to actually taste free agency? But uh, the owner can write a very big check, and I don't expect his experience in New York to be a bad one. Uh, if they're going to get him inked for uh, long term, when do you think it's most likely to happen? Well, uh, I think um, 
I'd be very surprised if they didn't reach out to him soon. Now, I don't know how quickly this would go, but it's pretty pretty clear where you have to be to sign this guy, in my mind. You know, Machado was, uh, uh, you know, 12 years at 300, I think it was, or 10 at 300, same age. Uh, but he was a free agent, you know, uh, so you might be able to get him for a little under there. Uh, some people would argue above that, you know, that was two years ago. Um, but I think that's the range, right? And so you, you kind of the, – the important thing here is you have a target where where it should be, and, you know, he's going to try to ask for more. And I think in this circumstance, this environment, um, you know, it's going to be hard to be asking for Mookie Betts money. He can, but I don't think he gets it. I think there's a lot of – as you know, when we've talked about good, a lot of good free agent shortstops next year, right? Trevor Story and, and Corey Seager and, and Carlos Correa. Bobby Baez, like the, those are the top you know, along with Lindor. So, so there'd be a lot of musical chairs going on, a lot of uncertainty around that. He might, I think this is a almost perfect fit for him. And so I, I would be surprised if they weren't able to do a deal, let's say by opening day. Give me the Carrasco aspect of this deal. Uh, when he's healthy, and that's a big if, because he's had a lot of injuries over yep. the course of his career, including uh, last year. Uh, so right. you can't say that in a vacuum, uh, assuming his health, because he just has been a oft-injured player. But for the purposes of this conversation, if he gets his 20, high 20 starts, 26, 27 yep. starts for the Mets over the course of the year, I don't think his contract is outrageous for his talent level, um, but they do have two more years commitment. How big a pill was that for the Mets to swallow, or did they not even look at it as a pill they had to swallow? No, I think they looked at it as a as a really good addition. I think, listen, Carrasco had a two nine ERA this this past year. He's comeback player of the year, coming off of uh, the the leukemia the there that he had the year before in twenty nineteen. So, you know, when you look at him, uh, you know, and the stuff is still there. It didn't look like there was much of a drop off. Uh, so I, I view it as a positive. I, I you know, though uh, Jim Bowden and I did our show today, and you know, he he thought he was the number two starter ahead of Stroman. I think. He, Nick and Stroman, depending on how well they're pitching, could you know wrestle that number two starter spot. You know, but so I think that's the range that they are now. Uh, you know, and then and then that kind of buys you time until Syndergaard comes back. If Syndergaard's capable of, uh, you know, we know he's capable of. If he ever puts it together, he, he's your true number two. But I think that's where he, you know, Carrasco kind of fits for me. Slots in as a number three type starter uh, right in that range. And I think I think listen. It wasn't that long ago he threw it was back to back almost two hundred innings. So he's capable of doing that as well, I believe. So I, I, I really like that aspect of it, um, you know, to kinda of add to their rotation. And it saves them, you know, they don't have to go out and spend on a Jake Jake Oda Rizzi or you know, I know people were set on Bauer. I think he has his own issues coming to New York that would be problematic for me. Yeah, MLB analyst uh, Jim Duquette, our guest uh, here with us on CBS Sports Radio. I know four young players the Mets gave up, one of which Rosario's got a couple of years in the big under his belt. Jimenez made his debut last year. The other two guys are uh, just drafted and still progressing through the minor leagues. Which one is the one that you think the Mets 10 years from now might be saying, damn, maybe we shouldn't have put him in the deal? (laughs) Well, yeah, I think think the one that probably – the second best guy in the deal for me is uh, the kid Josh Wolf. He, you know, he's a second rounder, high school kid out of Houston, um, and he's got a big 
tall kid, 6'4". I like the kid's makeup. I, I met him and, and have stayed in contact with him over the last year and a half or so. The stuff is legitimate. Um, you know, and I think it's just a matter of him getting stronger and developing. Uh, he's a couple years, probably three years away from helping the major league team with Cleveland. Maybe, maybe two, two and a half, something, you know, in that range. But I think that's the guy to keep an eye on in his development. If he can stay healthy, I think he has a chance to be, a, you know, a mid-rotation or a better starter. So um, that's the guy that I'm really kind of carefully keeping an eye on. But having said that, all that, like, you know, anytime this, these type of deals come up, if if you know, you have a guy that may be a number three starter three years, four years from now. Um, you you don't hesitate to include a guy like that in a deal. I, I thought it was even better with the Mets. They didn't give up, you know, they didn't give up Pete Crow Armstrong, uh, you know, their top center fielder, uh, Matt Allen, their top right-handed starter in the minor leagues. Like their top three or four, Mauricio, they have a catcher, Alvarez. Those are their top four or five prospects. They didn't have to give up any of those. So I thought it was a win on that side of it. Fair enough. All right, one last Mets question, and uh, I do want to move on. Uh, if uh, Lindor gets what he's assumed to get as far as uh, salary arbitration, if they have to go there before they get a contract done, and you know what Carrasco's money is adding to the salary right now, the Mets yeah. are still below the luxury tax, but if they were to add one more big player like, say, a George Springer, who they've been tied to, at least in conversations, it would bump right up against it. Do you think that the new owner is going to try and stay under the luxury tax the first year? Is it going to be mm-hmm. damned to torpedoes if we trade for Lindor? <laughs> Let's go for the whole thing this year. Don't worry about a luxury tax. Uh, where do you think the Mets sit salary-wise as an organization? Well, I, well, I will say this. I, I I would be surprised if they if they went over the luxury tax threshold this year. That it's a two hundred and ten million. Um, they, they have about I think thirty million under it. I think the idea, though, it, it, eventually, that's not going to be a factor. I, I don't, you know, they're not going to hesitate to go over when necessary. I just think, with you know, this is one of those years where you can add a couple other pieces and still stay below it, give yourself flexibility around the trade deadline to not go over. Um, I, I think there's a lot of, or, or you know, or the owner may just say, you know what, like you said, go ahead and, and you know, I give you permission to do it. But I think it's a, I think it's a more of a a goal, um, not a mandate to stay below it. And I think they can do it and have a really good team. Listen, I think it's a really good team now. So, um, you know, I think they stack up with the Braves really well right now in the division. And if you can stack up with the Braves, you can stack up with the two, the two teams out on the West. Uh, this, the, the, the NL East, it's going to be extremely comp- competitive. The Nationals are better. The Phillies are, yeah, we know the Phillies are going to do something. And the Marlins are, are improved. So I think it's going to be probably, I, at the end, it may be the most competitive uh, division this year. Yeah, it's got a chance to be tough. You mentioned the Nats. They did sign Schwarber the other day. They had already traded for Josh Bell. So they added yep. significant power down there in Washington. Uh, the question I have is, is Schwarber going to play in the outfield every single day? Soto <laughs> potentially moving to right field. If there's a DH, then they're in good stead. But if there's right. not... Uh, Washington is going to have some defensive questions in the outfield. Will these big power bats be able to out-hit any defensive issues they have? Well, that's a big question, I think, for me. Uh, you know, Schwarber's a guy that, you know, he catches what he gets to, but he, he, he can't cover a lot of ground. Um, so, you know, I think he's a late-inning replacement. I, I'm real curious because we had Dave, uh, Dave Martinez on my show today, and he talked about Soto wanting to play right field, but also playing at the end of the year. I did not see him play the right in right field 
at the end of the year. He played like six, seven games with Adam Eaton got hurt. And and uh, he played a lot and played a lot of right field in the minor leagues, so it's a natural position for him. He's comfortable there. You know, it's it hasn't been perf- uh, perfect, but he I, I've been impressed with him and how much he's worked at his defense in left. So, um, you know, Robles is going to have to cover a lot of ground in center, um, but I do think that um, you know they'll they'll deal with the, um, the the ramifications defensively. I think it, I mean, listen, I think at some point they'll have to address it. In the early going, the uh, the offense will certainly far outweigh you know the the liabilities on the defensive side. Jim Ducat here with us on CBS Sports Radio, talking all things MLB. All right, I don't know if you have an answer to this, but if you can give us some good speculation, if you don't know, I would appreciate that. Yeah, yeah. A statement came out this week between both the Players Association and the owners, uh, MLB, the commissioner, whoever you want to uh, entail, that they're moving ahead that the schedule is going to be as it has been laid out they're planning on opening camps on the days in february that they had put in place that they're hoping Mm -hmm. to start this schedule day one and get in the full 162 and that they've agreed to all the protocols to add in place for the coronavirus uh, last year but they still have some things that they haven't decided on whether there's going to be a dh in the national Mm -hmm. league or not whether it's going to be expanded playoffs or not I know we've still got a couple of weeks, a month and change before they actually have to start reporting to Florida and Arizona. When are they going to get this part of the agreement done so we know what kind of rules they're going to be playing under this year? I know it really is head scratching a lot of this. Like this, this, you know, they don't, for whatever reason, they haven't put a, you know, they're trying to negotiate it, but it doesn't, none of these things get, satisfied unless you have a deadline to it and they don't they, they don't seem to have a serious deadline on making the answer on it and i think is the longer it sits out there and you don't make the decision i think it, the more it suppresses some of the bats on the marketplace right nelson cruz marcelo zuna those are uh, two of the top uh, you know guys that would benefit by the dh of course we know the mets would benefit greatly by it too they could put down smith at first and, and dh alonzo i mean it's just and in most NLGMs I've spoken to and managers, therefore the, the you know I think you'd get probably at least twenty five out of thirty votes at least for the DH, but they're negotiating this as a tool and they're trying to get expanded postseason. I, I don't know the answer. I wish I did. I wish they would just you know find the the, the target date and say well you know, if we don't make this decision or or can't come to an agreement by mid. Of, uh, of spring training report date or, you know, let's say mid, mid-February when pitchers and catchers report, uh, then we're going with the same rules. That would be the logical thing, but I thought we saw a lot of illogical talk in, in conversations last summer when they were trying to figure out when they could come back and how they would come back, and all, of the, all of that kind of public posturing that we saw. And it's funny, we haven't had nearly as much public posturing, and I'm not sure if that's a good thing or a bad thing. Most <laughs> times public posturing is not good, but something might be better than nothing. So I'm not sure either, and yeah. I'm glad that you don't know either. But we'll continue to try and get to the bottom of it. Um, throughout your travels in baseball, either as a uh, executive uh, working for a team or since uh, you've become a member of the media, how many times did your paths cross with Tommy Lasorda? Give me your best Tommy story. Well, I, you know what? It crossed a, a, a quite a bit, actually. And you know, I, I have one personal story that 
you know, he he was so gracious with his time, and he didn't know me very well. Bobby Valentine was very close with him. I was in Bobby's office, and and uh, you know, he spent time with me in terms of, you know, what he what I I would ask anytime I I was around guys like that, I would always pump them for information, right? What 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 do you feel is the most important guy, you know, evaluation tool? What what or evaluation? First, it would be tool. What's it? What's it? What's your, uh, you know, ideal um, makeup of a player? Um, and, and so, you know, he always talked about the guys, you know, and he, and he would say this in his speeches too. So it's pretty common, but he'd say, you know, the guys who, who play for the name on the front of their Jersey, um, versus or ahead of the name on the back of the Jersey, those right. are the guys you want find those guys. So, so I remember that vividly. Um, the one, you know, there's so many really, really good stories. I just remember, you know, he, my cousin Dan was uh, with GM of the Expos back when he when uh, Tommy had a battle with uh, the, the mascot up there in the middle of the innings in the late innings. Tommy had fallen asleep, I think, on, on the bench in like the tenth inning. He had a long couple nights uh, there, and Yupi tried to make fun of him by by uh, putting on uh, a set of pajamas and sitting right next to him in the dugout. <laughs> Tommy chased him out of the dugout and got him thrown out of the game because of it. And then, and then UP came back in and put on the mother's gear and it looked like, you know, put on an apron and, a, and a, a pajama hat and started chastising Tommy in the 11th inning and, and really got Tommy going. That was a, that was one of those that I believe you can find on YouTube, but it reminded me of the, hum, of, 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 you know, how passionate he was, but he would, he would have his battles. It didn't matter. Like he was so staunchly loyal to the Dodgers. And if you you tried to embarrass him, man, he, he let you have it. And, oh, by the way, he had some issues with the Philly Fanatic uh, down in Philly. And the so Tommy, too. Yes, exactly to, right. Tommy with uh, the mascots wasn't always a pretty sight. All right, last no. thing, Duke. Uh, we're only yep. uh, slightly over two weeks away from the Hall of Fame announcement. Uh, yep. It's that time of year where we all add Ryan Thibodeau with his, uh, yep. not Mr. Tibbs, Twitter account to get the latest on the uh, ballots that he's been able to ferret out. Um, as we sit right now, last I saw, they had about a third in, 30-some-odd percent of the ballots assumed to be out there. And Roger Clements and Barry, uh, Bobby, Barry Bonds, both close to making the 75% in the uh, 73%, 74% range. Neither one over. Chilling in that same area, not over 75, but very close. And with mm-hmm. two-thirds of the ballots yet to come in, um, how do you, is there a chance we're going to have nobody make the, uh, hall of fame this year? And if so, will we consider it the coronavirus vote or, uh, mm-hmm. is it just that this ballot doesn't necessarily have guys that merit being put in the hall of fame? So I, I think there's a real possibility that there won't be anyone voted in, you know, and, and I think that's the real interesting thing is if they're not over 75% now, usually, usually when you see the public ballots, there's a drop off between the public and the private. And we've seen that, you know, uh, with Ryan, with Ryan's, you know, uh, when he's done the, the, the homework and the research on it. So, I, you know, in, in Schilling, it seemed to me some of the uh, more recent votes I've seen, he's gone backwards. So people had casted their ballots for him last year that didn't this year. And, you know, he's, he's, you know, continued to, to say things publicly uh, that, that, you know, bother writers when they're voting. And so, you know, I, to me, I try to keep it fairly simple. It's like, were you a Hall of Famer as a baseball player? I don't have a vote. If I did, I would keep it simple. But there is that that character clause in there that, um, you know, that a lot of writers will use to not cast a vote 
you know, so that makes it difficult for Bonds and Clemens to get in because of the PED stuff. And now with Schilling, with all of the things he's he's recently said, um, including the one, you know, the the T-shirt that he was wearing, you know, is very very critical uh, towards the towards the media. And uh, if he doesn't get in, uh, at least with Schilling, well, no, actually, with all of them, you can blame them themselves because if you are yeah. PED cheater, you got to get blamed too. We'll see if it does cost all those guys. Uh, Duke, always a pleasure. Whenever I have you on, uh, you bring good info. We appreciate you doing just that today. Glad to hear you're doing well. Uh, yes, hopefully thanks, you dude. and I get a chance to do a show somewhere down the line. Thanks, bud. Let's do it soon, man. I appreciate it, and uh, happy New Year. We'll talk to you soon. And congrats to your Ravens. I uh, texted yes. Duke before, <laughs> and he said, my Ravens are a winner. I'll be on with you. Don't sweat it, Joe. Uh, thanks, I'm Duke. ready to always come on as long as they win. Yes. <laughs> you got it. That, that is Jim Duquette. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.